the EU has a, a taxonomy or a dictionary of sustainability and it says if you don't comply with our definition of sustainability you're not sustainable and therefore you can't. You might have LEED or BRIAM or you might have a good BR, um, like an EPC score, but unless you meet our specific definition of sustainability, you're not, you're not eligible to call your building a sustainable or a green building. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Zero Carbon Construction by Zero Construct. I'm Matthew Jackson and first of all a little apology, we've been a little bit on a break. Um, it's been extraordinarily busy here at Zero Construct. If you are already a member, um, you probably would have seen that we have been at UK Construction Week. We've been releasing our new Top Trumps card game, um, our Zero Carbon Top Top Trumps, which will be available to purchase probably by the time you're listening to this podcast. Um, I've also started a new job, uh, which means that just our time has been quite limited. But that being said, we do have a number of episodes recorded. We're going through everything right now to get it out to you, the audience, as soon as possible. This episode is the first of a two-parter. They're actually two separate conversations, but they both were recorded in the same place. These uh, two are the debate recordings, uh, the BIM Coordinator Summit in Dublin back in September 2023. Part two, which will be released uh, in a couple of weeks, will be how we pay for this, which is kind of talking how do we as a construction industry pay for the decarbonisation of our industry. It's a fascinating topic and it does go off some amazing little kind of rabbit holes. But this first one is how do we count carbon to be as important as cost? We wanted to have a debate around kind of the tooling, the responsibilities and how we really bring to light uh, the importance of, of counting carbon as though we're counting dollars and pounds and pence and all those things. I'm uh, joined on stage by uh, three fantastic people uh, who uh, joined me for this debate. So I'm joined by Eamon Shields. He's from the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland, Chris Jackson from Esri, and Archie O'Donnell from Cosmos. And of course, yours truly will be leading the debate. Today's uh, sponsors of the episode is the BIM Coordinator Summit, brought to you by BIM Heroes Network, um, and also ARC Docs. You can hear more about them uh, during today's episode we really hope that you enjoy this episode as always make sure you give us a great rating on whichever network that you are listening to these on and let's jump in and go and rejoin the conversation over in dublin Hello and uh, just sitting here chatting away. Hello and welcome to the first panel session from the Net Zero stage. I'm joined by a selection of, of experts, like the best of the best, <laughs> the creme de la creme that I could find just hanging around last night in the bar um, before we decided to come down. Um, we're going to be discussing, uh, in this session specifically, we're going to be discussing um, the counting of carbon in a comparative way to the counting of money. But before we get started, if you gentlemen can just introduce yourselves, I'll pass my microphone to Chris first. <laughs> Thank you, Matthew. So Chris Jackson, I'm with Esri. Um, we're a provider of geographic information systems technology, primarily related around digital mapping and overlaying lots of contextual information. Um, and in the context of this conference, we're here because we believe that designers need to design in context. You know, we see, we hear lots of engineers and designers still thinking about their infrastructure or their asset in isolation and not taking into account both the natural and the human environments in which their asset is due to operate. So we have a long history of providing that sort of capability and uh, technology to support the analysis of land of natural resources, of human movement, of society, in the context of mapping. Um, and that's what we're interested in, in bringing to the table to give context to design. So yeah, here to talk about carbon in the natural environment, not necessarily in a block of concrete. 
Thanks very much. Uh, hi everyone, my name is Eamon Shields. I'm the program manager for commercial retrofit for SEAI. Anyone who's not aware, SEAI is Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland, so we are responsible, we're a public body and we're responsible for implementing the carbon targets that the government released. So obviously we're, we, a lot of stuff is dictated by the, the EU, so we joined the EU and coming up with the different measures that we're going to implement throughout the EU, and then when it comes back, the government does a list of it and then hands it to us to, to make it happen. So we're involved in everything from domestic renovation, public sector renovation, and obviously the commercial renovation, which is what I'm involved in. So um, it's a massive challenge, obviously, because uh, I traditionally come from the, I've spent 20 years in the M&E consultancy service where you design a job and go to that job and follow that job through the process. SEI, I don't physically carry out any projects, so what we do is incentivize, educate and incentivize, so it's quite a different system and can be quite challenging because you essentially create something and then launch it into the environment and hope that people are going to be incentivized to take it up. So it's been very positive in the last couple of years in terms of the domestic sector, but we have a lot of challenges on the commercial side. So, yeah, that's why I'm here. Thank you. An ice cream cone would be nice in this heat. <laughs> um, my name is Archie O'Donnell. I'm an architectural technologist by background uh, with a, a planning degree as well. And my area of interest is sustainability. And for a long time, I've really been challenged by how to actually get information out of a building, out of a design team, and turn that into some kind of useful quantitative data that we can use for sustainability. For too long, sustainability has been about badging, about, you know, I got a lead gold, I got a, uh, you know, a B or C, but increasingly it's started to become a more holistic understanding that what is the impact of my building on the climate, knowing that buildings are 40% of, of uh, carbon emissions, and how can I use that information to be better, to clean up my building, to make the building industry uh, better. So. I work for a company called Cosmos, they're a Danish company, and they're all about um, the metrics, they're all about, you know, the quantities, they're all about uh, collaboration. So I'm interested to speak to people afterwards about how do you actually get that data, how do you get that information, okay? Very nice. So um, we're here talking about counting stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, people have opinions about how good we are at counting stuff already as an industry, and it's mixed at best. Um, but, I mean, like, one of the things that, you know, one of the big challenges that we have, first of all, is how are we going to count this stuff? How are we going to count carbon? What are the steps we need to take? And I guess really the first question is, is kind of like, what do you see as sort of the, the barriers of why we're not doing this yet? Why are we not counting carbon in the same way that we count budgetary money in a euro, you know, pound, dollar, cents? So who wants to go first in answering that question? I have the microphone, so I suppose <laughs> I have the conch, so I'm going to take, the, take it over. Um, so I think to answer your question, the fact that um, the carbon isn't being counted in the same manner is, I think it's simply the fact that it isn't linked to money is the problem like coming from 20 years in the commercial sector if there's no associated euro value to doing something you can't convince anybody to do it like i was an m e consultant for 20 years and everyone wants to see the renewable option and we showed a client the renewable option and then the qs walks into the room and says well the last building was 25 euro meter squared and this is 35 euro meter squared why is that and we say well because we did this so then the client says, well, don't do that then. So that's basically the fact. Until carbon is, until the counting of carbon is either a regulatory requirement or it's linked, there's, a, there's either a, an, a cost for not doing it or there's a benefit to do it. So for example, you know, if the tenancies, the tenants who are going into these large buildings, similar to what you were talking about, Archie, in terms of lead, so nobody ever counted waste, let's say. Nobody ever checked how much waste, how much waste was recycled. And like, we could talk about 
you know, the waste on fit outs all day long. Like the fact that most buildings in Ireland, new builds, are still done to CAD A, where the whole installation is installed. All the fan coils, all the ceiling tiles, absolutely everything gets installed purely because the agent has told the client that if you, you know, if you're trying to sell this building, you kind of want a client to walk in and see what it's going to look like. So the whole thing gets fitted out as opposed to going shell and car and not fitting out anything. But in reality, an architect comes along, of course, and it's an open plan office, and now the person wants 25 meeting rooms, 13 of this, a tea station, and the skip loads that leave that building are just, it's just, it's a sin like to see it. But the fact is that nobody cares, and it doesn't, it's not being tracked. And there's, so the fact, until you, when lead came along and they turned around and said, okay, well you get three points for example, depending on how much of the stuff you pull out can be recycled. Straight away the construction industry had a system for doing it. Separate skips, everything was put in because they knew that the client was gonna kill them if they lost those three points. So also in some countries there was a, a, a fee for tonnage going to landfill as well when that was introduced late 90s early 2000s yeah oh, all of a sudden we know what to do with this <laughs> stuff instead of sending it to landfill exactly i don't want to pay tonnage cost exactly it just appeared yeah so link the carbon to the like if you there's no there is no greater god than cost on the commercial sector and, and this isn't a cynical view on the commercial sector it's called the commercial sector like the clue called, is in it's the called name. capitalism. You know, I mean, I mean yeah, you know, that's the, you know, so, that's what it is. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Archie, uh, Chris, who in the, uh, there's you. You got to look at you know what's the incentive here. You know, and it's that balancing act between you've got the the carrot and stick approach. So you've got the regulator on one side that's saying, if you don't do this, you don't have a functioning building, and then on the incentive side, someone is saying. If you can be better at sustainability, if your building can be greener, we'll give you cheaper finance or we'll give you higher, higher rents. So there is that, that, that incentive side. What we're seeing is that in the climate crisis, it's perhaps the finance industry that's been asked to be the cavalry and appear over the hill. You know, they're, they're the Prussian cavalry coming to the rescue. But, you know, is that, the, is, is that right? What... What do they actually need? Does the finance industry need leaner, more sustainable, healthier buildings that have better social infrastructure, uh, that have better air quality? Or are they really just concerned about the risk of their investment? So it is primarily risk, but what we're seeing is that a lot of, a lot of projects that are at the financing stage have set themselves really um, a really high bar for sustainability metrics. So you'll see that the EU has a, a taxonomy or a dictionary of sustainability, and it says, if you don't comply with our definition of sustainability, you're not sustainable and therefore you can't. You might have LEED or BRIAM, or you might have a good B or um, like an EPC score, but unless you meet our specific definition of sustainability, you're not, you're not eligible to call your building a sustainable or a green building. Now the impact that has that for some investments they say they're deep green. So the finance industry loves its acronyms and they call them the uh, SFDR Article 9.3 uh, Deep Green Investments. They will say, <laughs> it took me an hour to learn that off. <laughs> uh, I, I mean I love new acronyms. I mean it's one of my favorite or slash least favorite things. Yeah, no, it's an alphabet soup, that whole uh, ESG area. So I might as well say what ESG is. It's um, environmental, social and governance um, factors that have to be considered in an investment. But that's really governing our built environment now because the finance flows that are going into the built environment have to are categorized this way. And for some investment companies, they're saying, well, the one that we're concerned about is Paris-aligned goals. And we want to make sure that this building is tracking the decarbonisation agenda. So decarbonisation, you can imagine it as a ceiling that's coming down and your carbon footprint has to reduce within that every year to 2050. What they're asking is, 
what carbon footprint is this building going to be in 2030, in 2040, in 2050? And that's where, as Eamon came in, you, we, they no longer um, think about buildings as just build it and bugger off. It's a whole life cycle. It's a whole build it, operate it, and hand over a building that still maintains its value. And that's why that metric is important, that increasingly we got very good at measuring energy and reducing energy, like the amazing work by SEAI. Um, we got good at actually doing that with uh, ESRI at a district level and at a city level. But what's, sorry, I'm hogging this, but what's now become important is we have to first understand carbon, as in the Zero Project. We have to measure carbon. And if we get those two right, we're in a good way. And then we have to reduce carbon. The third one is difficult, and that's where the carrot and stick comes in. No, I, think, I think that's a good point, because I think if you look at... Um... The BIM Coordinators Summit is an international community of BIM heroes and leading AEC professionals in architecture, engineering, construction, property real estate and infrastructure asset management, who are dedicated to advancing the use of digital technologies within the built environment. They believe that the improved quality of information and integration of digital tools and processes, including building information modeling, can significantly improve productivity, outcome, safety, and sustainability in the planning, design, construction, and management of the built environment, which ultimately has a huge impact on all of humanity. Connect with BIM Heroes at bimhero.io, that's bimhero.io, to be part of this international movement to transform AEC. This podcast was recorded at the BIM Coordinator Summit in Dublin, which is held every year, but there's also an international virtual conference, which is also held. So make sure you check out that link and that network, which will be available in the show notes. then we have to reduce carbon. The third one is difficult, and that's where the carrot and stick comes in. No, I, think, I think that's a good point, because I think if you look at um, uh, the finance sector is a very interesting one, because there's been, there's been some very interesting examples that I'll just anecdotally add if you haven't heard about this. So um, if you look at a lot of the 2050 targets that have been set up by other industries, specifically the oil industry, and we've seen uh, BP and Shell this year announced they're going to backtrack on their carbon reduction targets by 2030. And the result of that announcement by BP is twofold. First of all, the shareholders were happy, which is depressing. But in that, in their AGM, the CEO of BP nearly got ousted by vote by the shareholders. And that is because the pension funds, the global large pension funds, are now getting a lot of pressure from the general public, and I'm one of those people that go into my pension fund and clean it out every year to ensure there's nothing in there that's harmful, because they understand that people don't want to invest or have pension funds which invest in dirty practice. So the the BPCO stayed in because the hedge funds wanted him to stay in, because the hedge funds will make more money, but the pension funds tried to boot him out. And that's a really interesting sign to say that finance, the finance industry, is starting to understand the needs of the general public because public opinion is shifting very quickly on this subject. So I, I totally agree. Chris, what's your thoughts about gonna, the barriers and... So last night, I think you asked for us to be a bit controversial. I don't know whether it was the... Well, Guinness. you swear words, you can you <laughs> say whatever you want, really. No, there's no need for profanity just yet. But... Um, in terms of taking a step back and looking at the global picture of how countries run, my general sense of it is that the current global economic system is completely broken. Okay, So for as long as capital is king and investment is king, then greed remains top of the agenda for politicians, for CEOs, um, and in that context, you know, we will find it, I think, increasingly hard to meet those targets because there's just not enough compelling um, uh, regulation 
or legislation to move us away from this linear economy that we've been breathing for 200 years. So, right? you're, so, so you're promoting social revolution, is, uh, is what you're saying? Well, those are your words. Uh, so, but what, what, what we do know is that muscle memory is a real thing, you know, and getting over our consumption-based approach to, you know, the fact that we still use GDP as a primary measure of successful growth of a country is, frankly, not helpful Awful. anymore. You know, Awful. it just genuinely isn't helpful, is it? So, and yet we still do it. Because yeah, there was an interesting debate literally this week because uh, US is obviously even Biden's anti-inflation act has managed to reduce inflation and their GDP is now uh, per capita double of Europe average. So this huge debate online, Americans versus Europeans, who has best quality of life. Now, there's argument that, yeah, cool, guys, you have great GDP, but uh, if you're ill... It's not great. Yeah. So, so you're, you are totally right. It yeah. is quite a weird way to discuss. And, and for as long as GDP rules the way that finance, financial institutions and governments think about prosperity and growth, especially in the middle-income countries who are seeking to follow our ridiculous example, right, um, then the current economic system will, will continue. And that in itself will mean that we will fail to meet many of the targets that have been set out. And in that way, counting carbon, as altruistic and as, as, a, and as absolutely important as it is, will probably not get the column inches. And people will only, you know, if you, if you ask, let's ask this audience, right? You need to stop driving your cars tomorrow. Are you in? I don't own a car, so don't own a I'm, car. I'm in. Great. Okay. So, to, not counting you, because you, you were for these guys. That's cheating. Right. Two, how many? Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen. So, we've got 14 people in the room, and three people put their hand up. It's like that cartoon, right? It's, it's that very famous cartoon. I think it went around during the last COP. The cartoon is, who wants to see change? Who wants to change? <laughs> yeah, exactly And right. that's kind of exactly the situation right. that we're in from a governmental kind of personal responsibility per perspective i think exactly. i think we understand what so so so, but, so but we we know that we need to count carbon because we're running out of time to prevent massive global catastrophes so it's of, a stick then it's uh, not a carrot it, it's it, a stick it, how can it be a carrot it's a stick so the stick it's a is great then philosophical question how it is. can it be a carrot how how can it be a <laughs> Okay. Well, I mean, if you take if you take Denmark, obviously Cosmos, you you're a Danish organisation, and if, let's let's talk about Denmark as a case study for for a moment. For those of you that don't know, Denmark as a country enforced carbon counting on new builds as of the first of January this year. So to submit for planning in all of Denmark, you have to submit an estimate of your embodied carbon. Now that's not a carrot. That's a stick, right? Would you agree? That's a stick, but it's an overnight um, implementation of a, a regulation that was eight years in the process. So they started first by saying, this is what life cycle assessment means. This is what carbon means. And they set out guidelines that everybody could follow and do it consistently and accurately. And then they said, here's a voluntary standard that you can follow. And then they built a software tool in year three. You know, in year four, they made people fill out that software tool and report. And then they learned from that. And then they said, how would you feel about a certain target? If we set a certain target, like, you know, a, a C rated, how would you feel about doing that? And they collected that data. And in year four, then, they brought out uh, the draft regulations. You know, so it was a whole process. It happened over many years. And really, we haven't hit stage one. We haven't defined what life cycle assessment is. Now, there's a lot of work being done. SCAI are, are hiring people in that role. And the Irish Green Building Council are doing a huge amount of work in taking 30 buildings and trying to standardize that. But it's, it's eight years to do that. But it has had a fundamental change on how they actually start to design buildings because from the very outset carbon is a consideration and the form the location and the materiality of a building are our first principles 
So, you know, when you design a building, you can't really get to pre-tender stage and say, we're going to change this building from a concrete building to a steel building or maybe to a mass timber building. That has to be done from the outset. So it changes the whole process and procedure. So it's, 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 it is about the behavioural change. It is about getting everyone involved. Like what happens in Ireland if you change your building from concrete to timber? The fire engineer says that won't work and you have to go back to start. What happens if you change a building to actually be a little be be leaner and have a different you know have a a completely different aesthetic you've got planning regulations so all of this is risk and we're very risk averse so how do we change our construction practices to be more danish how do we copenhagenize our 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 processes you know so can we front end everything and to front end everything it's a time and uh, investment it's also an emotional investment that you've got to bring everyone with you. And the time investment means what client wants to pay for all this exploratory design for a low-carbon, efficient, socially equitable building to be built, you know, when at the first hurdle they might be told, see all this work you've done, see all this, this hundred grand you've given to each consultant, put it in the bin and start again and give me something more traditional. That's the risk. Sorry, yeah. No, look, I think there's, um, there's a lot to be said in terms of the need for regulation. And I think it is fair to say that like, the Danish model is a, very, is a very good example of how to do it. The new, I suppose in Europe, the, the new EPBD that's due out before the end of this year, which will obviously inform the part L for all the different countries in terms of energy efficiency within their regulations. That... Um, at the moment, there's a draft version there that suggests that um, every building over 2,000 meters squared, every new build, is going to need to have a whole life cycle embodied carbon calculation carried out um, from 2027, and that every building from 2030 is going to need that. But I suppose to your point as well, the, the amount of work, yeah, I suppose the realities are because because of the amount of work that it takes, like even the methodologies, for example, and even the, the database of equipment, the database of material. It doesn't material. exist today. Yeah. It, it's so, not there. So 2027 is obviously even challenging at that, and 2030. But like, I, think, I think it's important when you stand back and look at the actual volume of work involved, like even now, I suppose, the kind of, if we throw the circular economy in on top of this as well, just for the crack, like, um, like, yeah, like you've got, so for example, SIBSI, to be fair, the Chartered Institute of Building Service Engineers, like they have a, it's called a TM66. And so they've picked lighting as an example of how you would create, so they've essentially created a whole um, application process for a lighting manufacturer to get a rating, the cer a circular economy, economy rating on their light fitting. So this could be, you know, so for example, you know, can the ballast be taken out and put, and, and LEDs, like the main problem with LEDs obviously is at the moment, essentially, like at least when you had fluorescence, you went back and you changed the bulbs. LEDs, as soon as they're gone, they just, they're dropped and they're taken out and thrown and they're getting cheap. And the problem is that the cost of them is getting lower and lower. So the need, like when they were expensive, people were complaining about it, but the fact that the cost is getting lower and lower, the incentive to figure out how you're gonna, you know, I don't have to replace all these people, are just clearing the whole floor through uh, preventative maintenance and filling the whole floor with new LEDs. So, but that's, that's an example. So that's one product that they're starting looking at a way of allowing people to get it certified as to its circular. And, it does a, and it's, it's, a, it's a really impressive element, but that just gives you an example. So concrete and steel and things like that are one thing, but once you get into services equipment, the work involved in doing that um, is is massive. But well, I mean, and you're totally right because I mean, during my presentation first, we, we spoke about uh, the 12%, right? So so globally, construction uh, consumes 12% of all of of the carbon tickets, and that's new construction, right? But then if you look at um, the existing buildings which at the moment, uh, by 2050, we've already built 90% of the buildings that will exist by 2050, right? So it's a huge stock. 
10%, by the way, is, is an absolute shed load. It's a New York City a month between now and 2050 that we're going to be building globally. Um, but that 90% at the moment uh, remains 28% of all global emissions are powering, cooling, heating, maintaining our existing building stock. So the built environment as a whole is 40% of all carbon emissions. Now, of course, the power system has partially to do with that, but it's also, as you just said, the way we maintain buildings and what we do with the old stuff as well. Um, as, as we know right now in the UK, they're having a bit of a schools crisis with a rated uh, concrete. Um, we won't get political why that is. Uh, I've already had that discussion in the pub last night. Um, but to, to move on, Chris, I mean, do you agree with kind of like the sentiment from Archie and, 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 and Eamon on like... Yeah, I mean, it, it has to come down to either... ArcDocs is Ireland's leading BIM consultancy practice, offering advice, production, training and supporting services to help individuals, companies, project teams in the building or infrastructure sector to implement digital information management to ISO 19650 series of standards. They have over 14 years of professional experience in implementing building information modeling across a wide range of businesses and projects. The team at ArcDocs bring a unique insight into the digital transformation of architecture, engineering, construction, property, real estate, and infrastructure asset management. Connect with the ArcDocs team at arcdocs.com and let the experience become your benefit. The link can be found in our show notes and just personally i would like to thank the arcdoc team that's ralph montague for being part and organizing the bim heroes and of course the bim coordinator summit his entire team do a fantastic job and i really recommend you go and check out their amazing work do you agree with kind of like the sentiment from Archie and and and, and Eamon on like yeah, I mean it, it has to come down to either regulation or some form of pricing, doesn't it? It has to come back and hit people, otherwise there's no incentive to do it. So owner occupiers, governments have to re re require a, a, you know a zero carbon approach from the supply chain because otherwise the designers and engineers won't design to those standards, you know. So it, the tragedy of it is that the AEC industries, as I, and it's an observer's viewpoint, it's still run on the same economic model, you know? Yep. Now, Rambol's a great example, Danish company, right? Rambol's a great example, taking a sustainable approach to their design and leading with it and taking that as a differentiator to market. So, you know, no, we won't just answer the client's brief. We'll go back and we'll propose a more sustainable approach. Which is the right way. Which is totally, how things totally should be. Right exactly. Way. And that's why they're such a great car. I love Ramble. And, and, but it, it takes that, you know, it started by two environmentalists, you know, so it's right through the lifeblood of that organization. So there, the power, the power model is different because they, they start with environment, environmental stewardship. You know, they're not starting from a point of economic success. They're starting from a point of stewardship. So either we have to brain transplant you know, all of the city mayors and the infrastructure owners so that they have that same embedded environmental mindset, or we've got to go through a very rapid process of mind shift to help them to think about their infrastructure differently than just the common economic model. No, I, 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 I totally agree. And, There's a question and from the floor. Good, there is a question. I was just about to come out, Ross, but about a question to, to, to the floor. You beat me to it. So we have a question from the floor. Do you want to shout it or, or more of a comment? This is Ross from Cosmos. Going. It's more of a comment, really. It's uh, about your uh, uh, carrot and stick analogy. There is no carrot. The stick is here, and the stick is going to get bigger. And we're going to be beat really hard over the next decade with a bigger stick, more legislation in order for this to work. Because 2027 is gone, we're never going to make it. 2030, forget about it, and it'll be, can we actually make 2050? We That's at, the big question. Are we at cricket bat size yet? Is that what we're, is that, is that what we're saying? Yeah, perhaps, yeah. The, the the other to to the other uh, logarithmic growth of the stick is all of the other stuff that we're doing to the natural environment beyond carbon. So I know we're here to talk about decarbonisation, but carbon myopia is a big problem in the in in you know everywhere. You know, so we're not connecting. And this is the thing about my 
geography brain is that we, we need to do better to connect the cause and effect of everything that we do. So simply decarbonizing isn't going to solve all the problems because we will still get increased weather events. We will still have increased displacement of, of, uh, of population, you know? So the, the, the stick is going to get bigger and it's, it's kind of good news that there's more extreme weather events. I mean, how ridiculous is that to say, you know? Why, why is it good news? Because it, it's one of the things that will drive people to change. It creates the compelling circumstances. Although, although there was a hilarious comment by one of the British Conservative MPs that did say, well, it would be nice for it to be a little bit warmer in the UK, which is, which, which is I, I mean, there are swear words that I could say, which I'm not going to say on public record uh, as this is being brought. But I, I totally agree. We have another question or comment in the audience? Okay, just, it's more of a comment also like, uh, Ross, right? Okay. So, I understand the challenge that we are facing, and I, I personally believe that one of the biggest challenges is also related to illiteracy. People don't know sufficient about it. So, uh, the moment that people will be no more, they will also be more aware, and that will drive positive change, I believe. But I don't think that. I would like to ask you as an expert, do you believe that we have really done everything that we can to work on the positive side of the carrot? Give an example, for instance. Um, my country, in Portugal, statutory approval could take up to four years to secure for a particular project. If someone has the willingness to make a change, to create incentives that will actually make it worthy for the ones that are investing and say, you know what, if you're going to be carbon negative, actually, your building is going to take a particular uh, special path of approval and we'll guarantee that you get approval in three months. Or on taxes, whatever. Because I think there's a lot of work that we can done, can be done on the side of the carrot. Because as you were saying, it's like, there needs to be initiative. So why don't we work more on that? Yeah, like, that's that's certainly the case, I suppose. All my kind of comments earlier were probably from my cynical M&E consultancy days. So my, I suppose my alter ego now. Uh, so in SEAI, like, it, it is a fact. I think you need to be, I think the commercial sector, I suppose, we look at it as as a kind of a, just a large bohemian and there's no people involved. But obviously there are people but you know that's their job. But on the other side, when I've been dealing with SEA, when I've been working for SEAI, you start to look at it in a different. Like we have a whole, you know, environmental accountancy side of things, and a whole social, you know, calculation element where we kind of look at what exactly what you're saying. Like where, what's the sweet spot with people? What's going to trigger there? And like that's. For example, um, so we have things, so there's education, you know, there's planning, so all of which is free, and then there's grant funding for the works themselves. But even the, even the way you speak to people, so we don't mention carbon. Everything we've talked about, and even now in SEII, is energy efficiency. Because you need to, like people, and, and especially in Ireland, I suppose, to talk about the whole idea of the, the worst weather. The problem we have in Ireland is, I suppose, <laughs> some people, similar to your English politician, there's people saying, oh, we'd probably be able to, you know, make wine in Cork in the next 10 years or something like this. So there's a kind of a, that, that driver isn't really in this country. But I think we do need to, like, really, I suppose the sweet spot is, and to your point, for example, so we have a thing called the ACA, which is every renewable piece of every renewable element, whether it be solar panels that's on that register, you get accelerated capital allowance so a, a company can write off all the tax off that particular piece of kit in the first year. Then you have then you have the grant system, which is obviously, you know, so there's grants for solar panels, heat pumps, all sorts of different things like that. But I think what we need to be conscious of as well, and I've realized with the commercial sector, even more than the domestic people's Buildings are very different to, you know, you can have somebody really conscious about their home and, you know, it's not like, I suppose I kind of liken it to someone, people don't necessarily fully change their mindset, they kind of are who they are sometimes in their home and it's not like, it's like when they're, you'd be trying to, and then they get into their car that possibly 
is just a, a diesel car and go to an office that could be shocking in terms of energy efficiency, but it's nearly, people need to start thinking about things, carbon reduction, like weight loss reduction, if you know what I mean. Like if you're, if you're trying to lose weight, you can't just eat nicely in your house and then get into your car and eat whatever you want and then go to your work. <laughs> yeah. So that's, so that's the kind of, so I think to your point, you're totally right, but the problem is there's a reality there that people, there's an element early adopters that will take it. There's the people who the grand funds will do, but there comes a point, to your point in regard to the stick, the reality is, and it's not, and people can do these things, but the, the problem is until, like if you've a small supermarket owner, you know, and you know, the planet, I know there's a, there was a thing here later on about health and safety, you know, can we relate to health? Like, it's, it's just, it's too big for a lot of people's heads, if you know what I mean. Like, and that's why we go for the energy. If it, it's out there, like it's, it's miles away. Like, you know, so the milk delivery is late. Mary's after calling in sick. The butcher's after cutting his hand, and the health and safety officer just walked in the door. And we're saying, you know, we should really think about the planet. And he's thinking, what are you on about? You know, so that's why in SEAI we're kind of really going to the point of, you know this is good for you. We need to wrap it in a way that it's good for them. Do you know what I mean? And we don't, it doesn't, we don't need, we don't need to convert them. We need to tell them. And like, the amazing thing is, there's a lot of people who we've given one grant to for something and it was purely based on financial. And after that, they just, they start getting excited then. And they're like, God, I can't believe I'm after saving that much money. And then they kind of, just the fact that they're gasping, once something happens, people's then it's real to them but you can't start off with the planet yeah it's a it's a good point that it has to it has to resonate with people it has to have meaning but we are in an emergency and we are in a in a crisis but even going to the room here who knows their own carbon footprint can you put a number on that showing off again. sorry <laughs> 2.7 tons a year yeah, but until you drank all that beer last night. Oh, damn it, it's now five tons. <laughs> so uh, I suppose we have to understand, like, why do we build? Why do we design? Why do we, you know, we enjoy what we do. We feel it has purpose. What, it contributes. And when we look at that, we see, okay, we want a better built environment. We want more joyful spaces. We want more functional spaces. But we also want a better future for our kids, you know, and the next generation. And like I've been in rooms with um, investors and, and fund managers that are investing in this. And they say, you know, in reality, my job is to speculate. It's to turn someone's money into, uh, you know, at least not make it smaller. That's the, that's the trick. I'm not doing this for esoteric reasons. But I have to think about that. So are we building for profit? And we have to, or are we building for other agendas? But we do have to think about those other aspects, you know, that, that, that um, at the larger scale, the more macro stuff that's important. And we'll start to see over the next few years that things like social capital, you know, which we're also counting, resilience, um, you know, can you actually design in nature-based solutions that will make that building less susceptible to overheating, less susceptible to flooding, and, and protect that investment? So I think a lot of that is just really changing that mindset and, and, and re-educating people. And I thought that's why the questions about literacy and understanding are important. And it all does come back to that. But we can't, you know, you have to state that it has to happen now. And I think it's impossible. It goes back to this thing about the, the measurement and the metrics and the cost. You can't control what you can't manage and you can't manage what you can't measure. And if you can't put a number on something, you know, you, you can't really influence, you can't change the dial. Um, so that's the way we have to think about it. So we've got to have numbers on everything. And just going back to... There's a serious lag in the, in the carrot in Ireland. It takes time to come through European directives, national directives. Um, you know, you have to test the socioeconomics of it, test it with the industry, and then give a kind of a flag fall of a, a year or two to bring it in. We don't really have that time. So maybe what we could do is work with people to see, 
you know, can we take the lessons from from Denmark? There used to be a joke about Irish regulations where they would tipex out the crown and put in a harp. But uh, yeah, maybe we can do that for 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 Denmark as well. We can we can tipex out the uh, the the flag and put in our own flag. You know. Your, your point is absolutely well made. We have to have best practice now, you know, and we have to promote the crap out of it because the rest of us who are the, the other other countries that are not behaving in the way that Denmark is and some other countries as well, to be fair, but the vast majority of countries are not moving fast enough towards either carbon counting or other sustainable development practices in order for us to keep up with the challenge that's coming, you know. You know, urbanization is increasing every year. Global population, we had the eight billionth child born on the planet two years ago. Population growth ain't stopping, you know, but desertification isn't stopping either, you know. Sea level rise is gonna, it's gonna happen, you know. And unfortunately, I do think that some of these triggers will only happen because of the extremes that we're seeing in, in, in climate change. You know, I, I, so. I totally agree. Like, shamelessly plugging zero here as your carbon literacy partner, of course, which is why we exist. Um, but no, I mean, I, I totally agree. I mean, um, mass urbanization will continue to happen. I mean, it will continue to happen as well. For those who are in the audience online, and, and I, love, I, I love this con this conversation. So if you know anybody at home or in your personal life that is a more right-wing politically aligned. This is going to be controversial, right? You ready for this? Right? Generally speaking, those, those people are anti-immigration, right? I mean, and, and right now, across, across the world, especially in, in the UK, they have this big thing about boats coming across. In Europe, we have a lot of kind of conversations about immigration and immigration being caused right now by, you know, wars, um, uh, you know, and, and, and unpolitical flavors across the world. If you think it's bad now, you wait until everything heats up and you can't grow crops anymore. The UN have already estimated that there have been at least 15 to 25 million people who have immigrated solely for global warming reasons. And that is, is that their farms no longer can produce crops or they can no longer really sensibly survive with their children in the houses that they're provided for because it's too hot. And therefore, where are they heading? north or south, away from the middle. So that urbanization question will actually increase in theory, because in theory, we're going to have to... Billion, uh, billions of climate we, refugees. We will have to become a lot more denser in the areas in which it is habitable for us to, yeah. to, to there, live in. There was a, an amazing bit of cartography. So it's the map geek talking again. OK. But there was an amazing bit of cartography done, and it was published in the Washington Post. I don't know the full story behind it, but I encourage you to go have a look at it because it's a, a really interesting piece of research. The basic thesis was, if we do nothing globally now, as it relates to our ways of living and the way that we construct buildings and our flood defenses don't get any more robust, in how many, pop, this is your pub quiz, right? In how many years from now do you think the whole of Vietnam will be underwater? Who wants to have a guess? 10 years, 50 years, 100 years, 1,000 um, years? 17.5 years. It's very specific. Anybody else want to have a guess? Have a guess? When, when you think Vietnam, the whole of Vietnam is going to be underwater. It's really low-lying country, if you didn't know. It's it, crazy low-lying. It's, like uh, it's, like it, it's, like, it's like the Netherlands, yeah. yeah. Anyone want to have a guess? 25? Say well, again. Well, now, well, now you're, we found somebody in the audience from, from Vietnam. You're from Vietnam. So you have to give... So no, 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 I no, no. Really you, you have to give us a number. Um, without sounding really dramatic, I really want you to look up this research because it frightened the crap out of me when I read it. What, what, what it? do you think? What, so what do you think? If we carry on as we are, our heads in the sand. 20 years, he says. Seven years. Seven years, a billion climate refugees. Because Vietnam essentially becomes not uninhabitable. I'm not being really, you know, it's not don't look up. But, but, it's, but it's pretty bloody close. That's it's a very getting stressful closer. film if you've ever seen it that is. film. It's a great film because it makes you think about this kind of stuff. And as I say, I'm not the author of the work, so I don't want to be saying that this is 100%, you know, peer reviewed and whatnot. But just, just somebody doing that work to calculate that in seven years, if we carry on as we are, then we're dealing with a billion climate refugees just from one country's flood defenses or lack of. 
So I think so. We're going to wrap up now because um, uh, it's 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 approaching uh, tea time here. Um, so I uh, just want to say thank you to everybody in the audience who's passed comment. Thank you uh, to, to Archie, Eamon, and Chris for, for joining us. These guys are going to be back later when, we, when we're going to be... Are we? Are we? They might be back later. We don't know. Um, to discuss how we're going to pay for this, which, which we're going to go down the further line of kind of taxonomy, overcharging people's stuff. So there we have it, the first panel of uh, two panels. They were both fantastic sessions and I really enjoyed uh, recording both of these at the event. Uh, we had some great questions from the audience uh, with a lot of people in uh, the audience which stayed for the session as well as we had quite a few people online watching it virtually. I think these questions are really important to discuss. I mean, obviously there is no black and white answer to this. Being part of Zero and being part of the Zero community, which we hope you are, of course, is that you know we are trying to find our way to answer these big questions uh, in a way in which is very accessible for everybody to try and solve. But if you've really enjoyed today's session and you've really enjoyed uh, what some of these people are talking about, please do reach out to them. Like I said in the introduction, we will have all their information uh, in the show notes. And of course, become part of the Zero community. Hopefully you're already uh, a member and you've joined up. Um, we're currently going through a world of amazing workshops uh, right now, as well as Lunch and Learns Online. And the earliest way and the best way you can find out about these is to be part of the community. Uh, you'll get newsletters in your inbox and of course you'll be invited to our WhatsApp community um, of very active and excited individuals. I apologise if you can get a little bit overwhelming. Uh, sometimes I'd probably get anything between 200 to 400 messages a day uh, on WhatsApp. But that's because people are really excited um, and really do care about this subject. And, and if you're listening to this or if you're part of the community and you give any time uh, into the community, we are eternally grateful to you to help drive the, the message. If you work in the industry and uh, you feel that we do great work, then please do pass us along to a friend or colleague. The, the best way that we can spread the message is through word of mouth. We are a non-for-profit uh, and voluntary organization. Therefore, unfortunately, we can't uh, spend lots of money on advertising to get our message through that way. So we really do hope and uh, really do lean on those who are members to spread the word. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. We've got more coming this way. Of course, we've got part two, which is how do we pay for this, which was the second panel uh, later on in the day. We've also got episodes coming up around ESG and we've got some interesting case studies coming up and we do have a fantastic interview with some of our Zero Next future leaders as well. All of these are in the editing room uh, right now with parts being thrown to the cutting room floor. But in the meantime, go and check out uh, zeroconstruct.com for the latest news and we look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you very much. So I'm sorry for the harm we've done and I won't give up the fight because our swan song is a, a selfish one and we're running